This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by Bird Campbell, PA, with offices in Florida and Texas, founded by two Duke uh, Duke grads. Bird Campbell means business. Hey there, Duke fans, and this is episode 94 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are coming to you on Wednesday, November 15th. It is the day after Duke outlasts Michigan State in Chicago, 88-81. We will get into all that and recap that game, and we have a special treat for you tonight. But first, let me bring in my partners in crime. First off in Atlanta, the man Jason Evans. Jason, what's going on? Let me tell you something. What's going on is that was a really, really fun game to watch if you're a Duke fan, and uh, we're going to talk about why, but man, I, I, it's so impressive that we won that game. <laughs> Absolutely. It was, a, it was a great game. Uh, one, of the, one of the classics in that, in that Champions Classic, really. That's really what the game was all about. Uh, and also in Denver, we have Sam Klein. Sam, what's going on? So I was at the game last night, and... Uh, let me tell you, if you haven't been to a Champions Classic um, and can figure out how to do so, uh, get yourself to one of those events because it is that the whole thing was just top notch. Absolutely. You know what? Let's start with that. Let's start with you, Sam. Um, uh, let's bring everybody up to speed. Duke, Michigan State, number one versus number two at the United Center in Chicago, part of the Champions Classic. And in a, you know, back and forth, most of the game, uh, we had a couple of runs, we had a couple of lulls. But in the end, 88-81 is the final Duke outlast Michigan State. Uh, since, Sam, you were there, why don't we start with you? Give us, you know, first of all, let's talk about how, how it was like there and uh, give me what you, your thoughts on the game were. So, uh, yeah, the, the atmosphere at the event was really fantastic. There were, I, I wouldn't say that any of the teams was, like, dominating the as far as the fan bases go. There were certainly, like, during the Duke was playing in the first game, and the Kentucky section and the Kansas section were, you know, were more empty. But um, the, 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 you know, the stadium filled in like towards the end of the Duke game. And, uh, and, and I stayed for the Kansas-Kentucky game, which was also a, a total blast. Um, United Center is obviously a, an excellent place to, to see basketball. They've had, they've had a number of good basketball players come through there. So uh, that was pretty cool. And uh, as far as our game goes, I think you have to start with, Grayson Allen and just what a show he put on making threes and uh, and just being all over the place. I think that, um, you know, we saw a little bit of him uh, of him saying, like, you know, this is my team, especially after Bagley went down. You know, this this is my team and and uh, I'm, I'm ready to kind of take the reins here. So he he made uh, he got 37 points on 20 shots and it, it never felt like. Um, never felt like he was out of rhythm. He was kind of he was kind of doing all, everything on offense. Um, as far as the defense goes, the the really interesting thing was how much I think that the, this Duke team played zone, and I think it did frustrate Michigan State, even though they beat it uh, a, a number of times. Um, I, I'm curious to see how much they stick with that. I think that this Michigan State team was particularly vulnerable to it. They run a lot of offense like through the middle of the of the court as opposed to around the perimeter and uh, the most impressive thing I think was that it never felt like Miles Bridges was really getting the the offensive touches that he wanted now he ended up with 19 points 
I don't think we saw kind of the best version of Miles Bridges last night. I, I was most impressed, honestly, with Nick Ward, their big guy. And um, and then kind of my last, the, the last guy who who is, you know, really worth giving a shout out for Duke is is Trayvon Duvall, who, who was kind of all over the place. He got a whole bunch of steals. He, he made some really impressive uh, transition dunks and passes. Uh, and, and he was kind of leading everybody around in, in transition. I think that um, when Bagley went out, so Bagley went out, I think like 10 minutes into the game and uh, Duke went and played, played actually a lot of small lineup, which I, I'm sure you guys want to talk about as well. And uh, I, you know, when we were, when we've, previewed this team and talked about the games prior to this we, we were saying oh duke's gonna you know play so many so many minutes of every game with like three bigs on the floor if you count delorier as a big and like jordan goldwire might get some minutes here and there but for the most part it's just it's just the three guards uh of alan duvall and trent who are gonna play and and it felt like we we saw like most of the scholarship players last night, including Antonio Frankovic. Um, we saw Alex O'Connell there for a few minutes, and I think that the only the only disappointment kind of from the bench was was Marquise Bolden. Uh, I'm really just not sure where his development is. He looks uh, he looks slow and and a little bit lost. Honestly. Strep throat, and, dude. He had he still has strep throat. I mean, still come on, isn't he? Yeah, over yet? he was supposed to be out for a couple weeks and. He came back early. I, I I wouldn't hold it. Let let's wait a little right. bit before we before we make passing final judgment judgment. All right, please. All right, we can do that. That's fair. Eh, it's you're still right. early. You're right. You're right. Uh, but but other than that, I thought that everybody and and you guys can tell me if you if you felt the same way watching it on TV. I thought that everybody who came in looked like they belonged for Duke. Even the guys who were who were like lower in the rotation, and that was really. It was really reassuring, um, and it's certainly not something that I expected because I think that even more so than the two of you, I was really bullish on the starting five being like the only guys who are going to get lots and lots of minutes, and then other people are going to fill on fill in around them. So, Jason, before I before I kick it to you, I want to pose this question to you. You know, on the last podcast episode, we talked a lot about uh, the team. You know, Michigan State being a physical team and being a great rebounding team. Uh, we had forty six rebounds and. The, the real shocking stat for me is that 25 of them were offensive. Um, that is a huge number considering, you know, one of our big, main big guys, Marvin Bagley, was out for three quarters of the game. Rate, when you're talking about this, rate the performance of the team in terms of rebounding. Is that one of the best rebounding games you've ever seen a Duke team? Uh, so the incredible thing, yes, it is. It is a great rebounding performance against a team that should be and is a really good rebounding team. The, the truly impressive stat, so we had 25 offensive rebounds, like you said. Uh, they only had 23 defensive rebounds. So it doesn't take a math genius to tell you that when we shot the ball and missed it, there was a better chance of us getting it than they got it. That, uh, that's huge. That's unbelievable. And, and I'll give you another piece of that. We also missed 10 free throws, and they got all the free throw rebounds. I, I, maybe I missed one, but I don't recall us a free throw rebound. So, I mean, the, the rebounding disparity when we took a, a, an actual shot when the game was being played was even greater. Um, this is such a good rebounding team, this Duke team. And we haven't even mentioned Marvin Bagley got injured, only played 10 minutes of this game. Uh, for Duke to have played the number two team in the nation 
to have beaten them by seven in a game that we led the whole way. I mean, we didn't lead by a lot. It was, you know, pretty close, but, but Duke pretty much led the whole way. And Marvin Bagley, who's been our best player thus far, granted Grayson Allen looks like he's our best player overall, but Bagley certain li- certainly right up there with them. I mean, Bagley looks like a first or second team All-American. We're missing a first or second team All-American for 30 minutes of the 40 minutes of that game. And we still won. It, it begs the question, is this Duke team going to lose? And, uh, you know, I don't want to get into that kind of craziness yet, but, but wow. I, I mean, a tremendously impressive performance. A couple of things I want to focus in on. You, you talked about Grayson Allen and how great he was. 100% agree. Um, Grayson was the player of the game. He lifted us onto his shoulders, and he was absolutely fabulous. But we don't get there without Trevon Duvall. Duvall had 10 assists, three turnovers which is a lot for him. Oh my gosh, only a three to one assist to turnover ratio. But I mean, you know, some great assists. He had six steals. And one of the stats, you guys may recall this, I've spoken about this stat over the years many times. One of the stats I always look at is field goal attempts. Duke had 76 field goal attempts. Michigan State only had 61. You get 15 more field goal attempts in the opposition, you're going to win the game. And so even though Michigan State hit more than 50% of their shots and Duke hit less than 40% of our shots, we won that game because we had so many more shots. And that's a function of turnovers, offensive rebounds, the the steals that Trevon Duvall got. Um, I thought Duvall was great taking the ball to the hole. At one point in the second half, he had a move where he split two guys and then switched hands and put the layup in. And I was like, that's an NBA. That is a big time NBA move. That's That's a Kyrie Irving kind of move. Um, did it, I thought, did yeah, go ahead. it look like, I mean, when, when I think I remember the, the one you're talking about, he had a couple of good moves in transition, but there was one where he went up for the dunk in transition. And when he got airborne, my thought was, wait a minute, it, he's not about to dunk that, is he? Because he's definitely not close enough to the rim to do it. And it was like effortless. No, the, the one I'm talking about, he had the ball, um, on the wing and two uh, he sorry he was driving toward the basket and two guys came to block his path and he like switched hands and went between them and then switched hands back and laid the oh, ball yeah. in i do remember was, that it one it yeah. wasn't a transition thing it was just, he was just like just running the offense at that yeah, point. yeah. so yeah, he so got that, on the wing that was an ugly play and by ugly i mean when i saw that my face contorted and i was like damn you know it was one of those kind of plays it made me look ugly looking at it Duvall was absolutely incredible. And I also want to talk about Wendell Carter Jr., who I thought really struggled early on. Uh, Michigan State is is long and physical, as we talked about. Uh, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, who, by the way, is going to be a easily a top 10 pick in the NBA draft. That kid has crazy potential. This guy has 7'5 wingspan. And he would he and Miles Bridges and Nick Ward were all protecting the rim. And I thought they really bothered. Carter at first, but I, I think Carter found a way to adjust to it later in the game and became more and more effective as the game went on. And I think that's a really great sign for what he's going to do later on in the year and throughout the season. The more experience he gets, look, I mean, this is a guy who hasn't played against guys his size. Here he was playing against, you know, three of the best big men in the country in Ward, Jackson, and Bridges. Uh, and and he got 12 rebounds, five offensive rebounds. Um, I, you know, his field goal percentage wasn't great, but he drew fouls and went to the line and, and hit his free throws for the most part. Uh, you know, I thought, you know, he was, he was really good. And then the last thing I want to talk about is, uh, Sam, you spoke a little bit about the bench. Javin Delorier 
played 24 minutes. Now, granted, I think his minutes were boosted by Bagley not being available. But uh, Delorier had another one of those games where his stat line, you just look at it, you go seven rebounds, three of them offensive, four assists, three steals, two block shots. Delorier impacts the game when he's in there. It seems like there are three of him when he's in the game at all times. And uh, the, the progress that that kid has made from a year ago, it, it, to, to merely say it's night and day doesn't do it any justice. You'll have games where, I'm sure this year, he'll have a game where he does have to play that many minutes like he did the other night and will end up like getting huge stats like all over the place. You know, getting a, a double-double and, and like opposing fans will, will watch that game and be like, who even is that guy? Like he's not, he's not one of the starters. Um, he's not one of the most heralded recruits. But man, he just comes in there and like, and like you said, he can do everything. So the the last thing I want to say is after watching three games, I think it's really important that we talk about something that I think is unbelievable, that, that is making this season, for me, the most exciting season in, in several years. Trayvon Duval averaging a double-double. No, no. That, <laughs> although that's great. No. that's cool. <laughs> for 37 years, Coach K has played the game a certain way. Coach K, for 37 years, has played man-to-man defense with very little zone or no zone. Coach K, for many years, has embraced the value of the three-pointer, sh- the three-point shot to the detriment of bringing the ball inside, of pounding the ball into the post. He's recognized that three is worth more than two. And Coach K has generally sacrificed rebounding to get steals and turnovers. That's the way- Do you guys disagree? Am I correct about that? No, that has been absolutely correct. The frustrating the passing lanes is, is the most important thing about those sort of standard Coach K defense. For 37 years, that is the way Coach K has played the game. And here in year 38, he's doing the exact opposite in all those ways. We're playing nothing but zone. We're pounding the ball inside instead of taking three-pointers. Not that we don't take three-pointers when you give them to us, but our first look is into the post. And we are a great rebounding team. Now, the nice thing is, Coach K has learned that that zone, with the length we have, we still get the steals and the turnovers, but we are a team that focuses on reboundings. How fun is it to watch this man, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, adapt in this kind of way? As great as K is, I think he's largely been unwilling to adapt in the past, and this season, he's proving that even an old dog can learn new tricks. That's very well said, Jason. I really, I, I agree with you and a lot of it. There's a couple of things that I want to point out in, in kind of going back to some of the things that you guys mentioned. Uh, I want to talk about, you know, we said in the last podcast and I said uh, that the, the, the demoralizer for Sparty is when you play their game and kind of beat them at it or play them to a, a level, uh, match their intensity, being physical and, and pounding the paint and getting rebounds and doing all these things on the inside. Let me give you some stats. Uh, points in the paint, we had 36 points to their 42. That's pretty much a wash for that game. Uh, second chance points, 17 to 11. So we we had more second chance points. We obviously had more offensive rebounds than they had defensive rebounds, which means we got that, ma- that many more uh, opportunities to put the ball in the basket. Uh, and points off turnovers, 19 to 9. We outscored them 19 to 9. So those things lead me to, you know, to mean that they – we really honed in on what they do well and neutralized it. If we're, if we're level on the, on the physicality parts uh, aspects of the game against Michigan state, 
you're winning that ball game because you know we we shot better than them from the outside and you know i think those kind of things it seems that we honed in on that and we neutralized it and that's why we emerged the the victors in this game one thing i'll also note and i think you guys mentioned alluded to it a little bit uh, but i want to highlight it grayson played 40 minutes he was everywhere he was the leader for this game and it's it's clear that you know when it comes to big games the big players need to step up and he did that especially in the absence of marvin bagley uh no he knew he had to pick up his game and he elevated to a level that we've never seen him play before but what i love about this team so far and this and last night was really the highlight of this these guys are poised there was not a point in this game where i thought they were playing out of whack where they were panicking where you know when when Michigan State would go on a run, we would just give them a run right back. Uh, if there was a momentum that they that Michigan State had, we would stop it and create some of our own. These freshmen are playing with with real poise, unlike anything I've seen early in the year. Now we've seen some some uh, young teams grow into that role, but to start off against the number two team in the country, neutralize them at at their best part of their game and play with the poise of veterans. That's what this team needs. That's We saw that last night, and I think that is why I'm so happy about this win. Donald, did you? I know Sam did not see this. Did you see Grayson's po- post-game interview? I did, yeah. Go, but go ahead and tell the, tell the folks about it. Oh, no, I, so, I got to watch it. I, got, I, I watched it this morning, but yeah, talk about it because it was good. So Yeah, so the, the major thing in that interview, and it, it dovetails off of a, a lot of people on the board. I hope you guys have gotten a chance to read the article in the Players Tribune about Grayson Allen and how what what Grayson Allen was as a freshman at Duke. It, it's it's not an article. It's it's penned by Grayson. It's you know autobiographical. Um, he talks about what he was as a freshman at Duke. That he was quiet and he was afraid to speak up. And it, uh, I think he said during the start of his sophomore year, he took a um, he took a public speaking class and it brought him out of his shell. But but what he largely talked about there and what he also you know, talked about in this post-game interview was when he was a freshman, Quinn Cook was the leader. Quinn Cook was the senior on that team. And he said Quinn brought him out and Quinn was constantly bringing Grayson out of his shell and showing Grayson what it meant to be a leader. And so in this post-game interview, Grayson talked about Trevon Duvall. He talked about it. First of all, he credited Duvall for getting him the ball in the right place. And that, what you know, what a great kid Grayson is. He He's coming. He's got a 37-point game. Uh, he's he's just become the the leader nationally for Player of the Year. And they talked to him, and the very first words of his mouth are, "He's like, hey, Trevon Duval did a great job of getting me the ball where I could score." Um, but I think when you put the post-game interview and the article together, you get that Grayson Allen is really embracing the senior leader role, and he recognizes. He says, "I want to be this team's Quinn Cook." Quinn Cook was his example of what a great senior leader is who leads you to a national title. And Grayson's saying, I want to be that same thing for these guys. It's so, and it shows you the importance of that, of having a senior and how close we came to maybe not having one on this year's team. But, you know, Grayson's there and he's doing it. And I think he's teaching these guys what it takes and what it means to be a Duke ball player. And he's having fun doing it. Like you can see on on his face, like after that game, he. He had a lot of fun out there in the court, and that's what you want to see from you know 
as much as people have vilified him over the last couple of years, what makes me the most happy is to see him having fun out there again. And you saw it, it's the freshman Grayson where you just, he's going out and he's playing his game and he's and he's this time he's bringing his team along with him. And that's, what's going to get us to the top. It's, it's fun. It's, it's fun to watch him play. And it's, it's honestly the best thing to see him so happy out there. That's what's really, really making this scene work so far. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by Bird Campbell, PA. And we have a special quote this week from Tucker Bird, one of the founders of Bird Campbell. And it's about the Michigan State game last night. He says, you got to love the way Grayson carries himself with all the dignity and aplomb of the former Duke greats who were subjected to the same jeering from opposing fans. He didn't wilt. He fed off of it. Even his crouching tiger pose after nailing that late three-point dagger at the top of the key over an outstretched defender had an elegance to it. Thank you, Bird Campbell, for your continued support of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. And if you guys need any legal advice and you are in Florida or Texas, hit them up at birdcampbell.com. Crouching Tiger. I love that. That is awesome. And okay, now that we're done with a little basketball, we have a little treat for you. I told you at the beginning of the podcast that we have a special treat for you, and I'm going to kick it to Jason, who's going to introduce it. Go ahead, Jason. So, uh, guys, we have interviewed a lot of people on this podcast. We've been very fortunate to have many former Duke basketball players. We've had national sports journalists and the such. Uh, we've interviewed a lot of really interesting people over the course of time, and it's been a great, great pleasure to do that. I think, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to be very surprised when I tell you who we're about to who we're about to interview. But the big surprise is, I'm telling you, you're about to hear what I think is the best interview we've ever had on the DBR podcast. It's incredibly revealing. It's incredibly smart. It's from a guy who really knows basketball, and that guy is Chris Burgess. Now, some of you are probably saying, "Wait a second, Chris Burgess." You know, he hasn't been associated with Duke for a long. He left Duke. Folks who don't know the name that well, Chris Burgess was a highly touted recruit in 1997. He played for Duke for two years, the 97, 98, and 98, 99 teams. Um, he then transferred to Utah. And, uh, you know, a guy who leaves the program, he, he left the program at a time when he probably, Elton Brand was leaving and Chris Burgess probably could have taken over as the new center, the main big man for, for Duke. I mean, it wasn't for a lack of playing time that he was leaving, um, but he, he wanted to go home to Utah. And, and we didn't really get into why he left Duke um, in, in this interview. But uh, Chris Burgess also happens to be, if you listen to the podcast, you know this. Sam brought it up a couple of weeks ago. Chris Burgess is, after years of playing professional basketball, mostly in Europe and, and overseas, Chris is now the, uh, an assistant coach on Utah Valley the very same Utah Valley team that we played just a few days ago and the same Utah Valley team that played Kentucky on Friday and then Duke on Saturday. So after Utah Valley did that, uh, a, a DBR classic, a guy who has been around the DBR forever, he's not very active anymore, but you may, know, may remember the name from the old days of Biff Man. Biff Man wrote to me, he's a fan of the podcast, and he said, dude, Jason, you guys should interview Chris Burgess and ask him about 
playing Kentucky and Duke back to back. And I went, oh my God, that's a brilliant idea. So full credit to Biff Mann for the idea to contact Chris Burgess. I reached out to him. He said he'd love to do it. And just this morning, or just this afternoon, I should say, we spoke to Chris Burgess. Folks, again, I'm telling you, this is going to be one of the best interviews you're going to hear on the DBR podcast. I toss it now. Donald and I were very fortunate. We got a chance to chat with former Blue Devil and current Utah Valley assistant head coach, Chris Burgess. So, Chris Burgess, thanks so much for joining us. We are honored to have a former Dukie in the house for the DBR podcast. Uh, you are an assistant coach at Utah Valley, and you yeah. guys played Duke just a couple days ago. Give me your assessment of the Duke team that you guys just played. Uh, what were the things that surprised you about them? You know, what, what's your scouting report about about the team? So when we scheduled that game, you know, as assistant coaches, we kind of break up the scout games, and um, I was like, hey. I'm taking Duke. Um, obviously, he played there and, and, and wanted a shot at really because you can learn so much as you scout this team, right? And so I was able to kind of watch the blue-white game and then watch the, scrim- the two exhibitions versus uh, Bowie and New, I think it was uh, North Missouri State. And the one yep. thing that took out of me is I'm like, Grayson Allen's like back to his old self. That was my first take was like, that's the Grayson from sophomore year, end of freshman year. And so I was like – Okay, what else do they have? And then watching Marvin Bagley, I was like, this is the best second jump kid I've ever seen in my life. You know, he kind of throws it up there, shoots a good shot, and has such a soft touch. His second jump is better than his first jump, how he attacks the glass. And then I thought Wendell Carter is the most skilled big man in the country. I had never seen a guy who can go both shoulders with such ease, and he he catches the ball in the post with such patience. It's like he's done it a thousand times in college basketball. It kind of just blew me away with his skill around the rim. And then he'll kind of step out every once in a while and bang a three. And then I was just like, Gary Trent is the perfect complement to the to Grayson on running that other wing. He just has a man's body, man's shoulders. He's, you know, he reminds me of his dad in terms of his body. And then he was just he he was lights out in those two exhibition games, and then in the scrimmage. And then Trevor Duvall does everything you want in terms of getting in the key, kicking out, getting in the key, kicking out. And if you want him to finish, you finish. So my first thought was. Man, this is gonna be really hard. <laughs> this is gonna be really hard. Um, their bigs really run. Um, we knew that. So uh, when I'm thinking about defensive transition, I'm like, Coach, maybe we just send one guy to glass and we just get back in transition with four guys and build a wall, find Grace and find Gary, and let's make uh, let's make Trevin DeVall kind of go one on one and score on us, right? Let's not let him kick out to the shooters and, and and kick to the bigs when they're running the plant. Let's make Trevin beat us. Well, he had 15 points, 12 assists, so that didn't really work against us um in the post in the post i felt pretty good about our five-man guarding wendell because we have a seven-foot oklahoma transfer who had 17 and 12 in our games against duke i was really worried about the four spot with marvin because and that's what made duke so dangerous was because you know our four man's six foot five right and i was like coach we're gonna have to double the post we're gonna do that and you know this is a duke team and i know they're at home and i know the camera crazies and that's like a 20-point advantage right there and it was coach k's thousand potential thousands win i knew they're gonna allow that stuff you can't prepare for our guys just got to be tough uh, but at the end of the day you know our, our guys battled our guys battled um duke's just that good and they showed it last night obviously um, beating michigan state God, that was that was awesome man that was a really yeah. really compelling so uh i mean i know you haven't looked at the whole country the way you've looked at duke but do you think yeah. these guys do they deserve the number one ranking that they have 
Yeah, now I've watched Arizona, and I think they're good. Um, I think Duke's the best. And I say that because I think they have these talented freshmen who can score in so many ways. I think they're the biggest front court in terms of, like, skill, athletic ability, length, and rebounding the ball and then scoring the post. And I just think they have that senior, Grayson, who's – he's just his old self. You know what I mean? And I know there's all this, you know, the tripping incidents and all this stupid stuff that doesn't – it doesn't matter, but for some reason it affected him a little bit last year. But I just think he's back. So you got these stud freshmen around him, and then Grace is like, "Hey, this is my year. I'm Player of the Year." And I just it makes them, in my eyes, right now, um, the clear favorite for the ACC, the clear favorite for the national champion. But I think maybe they drop a gamer here right on the road because the freshman learning experience. I think Coach K talked about it in the pregame yesterday. These guys got to grow up with – but the only way to do that is these games, right, these games on the road, these games in neutral sites, these games in front of these – away from Cameron. And they'll do that. And then once the tournament, I mean, starts, you know there's no one better in the game right now than Coach K in terms of getting his team ready and focusing on um, the turn, the, you know, the game at hand. And I think that's where – I think that's where this Duke team is going to be really special. I'm rooting for them because, you know – I'm rooting for Kentucky and Duke, and, I, and I'm not a Kentucky fan, but I'm rooting for them because our guys battled against those two guys, and we went toe-for-toe uh, uh, with Kentucky for 40 minutes, and then we went uh, toe-for-toe with Duke for about eight. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, you, you brought me you brought me exactly to the next question on my list, which was you guys did the truly insane thing of playing yeah. Kentucky on Friday night and Duke on Saturday night to open the season. Have you lost your mind? Tell us, take us fans yeah. inside what it was like to play Kentucky and Duke back to back. Well, it's looking back, it's like, what are we doing? That, that, that's honestly, but like, uh, can, coaches always want to play Kentucky. This, this was going to our third offseason where we're getting ready for scheduling, right? And coaches always want to go back. I get it, right? He won a national championship. That's his alma mater. He wanted to take his family back there. He wanted his guys, his players to to experience it and to take a shot at Kentucky in rough. And then all of a sudden we had that game kind of lined up and then here out comes, out comes Duke looking for a game with us. And so I got excited right away. Right. But I was just like, you know, this can be really hard Kentucky and Duke. And then all of a sudden Duke's like, Hey, this is the only day we can play it. <laughs> and so we're meeting the staff and we're just like, guys, that's 24 hours against potentially two top five teams. And this was before Bagley even signs. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be really hard. How are guys going to do it? Let's think about this. And then the way we thought about it, we're just like, you know, Duke and Kentucky are really good. We know that. If we have five days rest or a month rest or 24-hour rest, it's going to be really hard. Let's just go do it. Let's go challenge this team. It'll be a great motivator in the off season as these guys, you know, have their summer workouts, their fall workouts. It's something they can think about as they go to bed every night. Hey, I got Duke in Kentucky. Did I work out enough today? Did I get enough shots today? Did I watch enough film with Coach today? Well, Those it, it, are great you, it put you guys on the it put you guys on the map a little bit. I mean, nationally, people Absolutely. paid more attention to you. Yeah. Yeah, in June they're talking about Utah Valley basketball, which is great, right? And before before June, they were like, "Who's Utah Valley? Who's the whack?" Um, who's this player? Who's like Coach Pope is a head coach? You know what I mean? Like Mark Pope, is right? Right. So yeah. it, it put us on the map. So we used it for recruiting. Um, you can imagine, right? Every single day. Hey, even when we're trying to sign guys for this season, right? You can go here and play. You know, Sisters of the Poor first two games, or you can come here and challenge yourself right off the bat against the best of the best. So 
And then even after, you know, ESPN followed us around with the cameras, uh, RKS, our local Utah, they followed us. So everyone, even with University of Utah and the Pac-12 in our state, even with BYU and the WCC, everyone was talking about Utah Valley for opening college basketball. And even though we lost, man, I'm telling you, like it was, like you said, it was so cool and a great experience. And then we went on the road for the third game of five days last night. And, you know, and and we, we were up 19 at some point because our guys at Idaho State, and we're better than, but our guys are like, hey, this is nothing. We're just in Cameron and Rupp. We're in Pocatello, Idaho. This is easy, right? And that's what we want our guys to feel when we get to conference. Uh, we want to go back to your time at Duke. You played at Duke from yeah. 1997 to 1999. You know, yeah. take us back to that point. What were your favorite memories of your time in Durham? Oh, man. Whew. So many. Um, probably Midnight Madness, my freshman year. Uh, Dickie V's there. And, they're introducing us at half court. And if you guys remember, it was like Avery, alphabetically, it was like Avery, Brand. No, no, it was Avery, Battier, Brand, Burgess, right? The four freshmen. And and that was like, you're, you're sitting in half court and the crazy, everything you dreamed of, right? Everything you watched on TV, ESPN, and on my visit, right? I went to two different games, unofficially and officially. And you're just standing there half court. And it's like, this is like, this is surreal. Like, I'm part of this, part of this program, part of this brotherhood. Um, obviously, the final four. Jimmy V Classic playing, you know, playing these unbelievable historic games. Michigan State against all these big time players and Mo Peterson, Mateen Cleves, and going to Maryland with Steve Francis and smacking them by 30 as they're the number three team in the country, right? And so, you know, celebrating with coaches in the locker room, celebrating with your team. There's just so many. You're just, I mean, I didn't lose very much, you know, in my two years. I was 31 and one in the ACC and, and, and my, you know, only lost, I think, six total games in two years. And that's because we, we were really talented and we were really good. But, I learned so much there, um, played with some of the best teammates. Um, you know, Quinn Snyder is an assistant coach who recruited me. He's now here with the Utah Jazz, the head coach. So that Duke circle is just, man, Coach Krzyzewski's uh, coaching tree is just amazing. As a coach now, I, I try to think back of all the things I try to learn, all, all the feelings I had as a, from my assistant coach, the way it made me feel. So many memories, all all positive. They really are. And I, and I know I left at the end of the day, but they were all positive, positive feelings at Duke. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, a lot of those guys that were on that 98-99 team, you know. Yeah. We think that that team was one of the best ever. Like, do you yeah. do you stop – and honestly, do you stop and think, man, if we just won that game against UConn? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, every day. <laughs> I've yet to watch that game. Um, I've yet to watch that game. And credit Coach Calhoun and UConn for their scout against us. Um, but uh, to this day and, – and, and I have friends – there are friends or family that, you know, remember those team and they watched teams that win national championships this year. And there's like, no, like no one can compete with that Duke team. We were that good. And I tell you, I was like, yeah, like I said, Maryland, number three team in the country. We punched them by 30 at their place, North Carolina at the Dean Dome, punched them by like 20 something. Like it, it, no one stood a contact. Like, like, but UConn, Hey, it's an, it's, it's single elimination. And they just, they, they did a rip. Hamilton was unbelievable. We just had a hard time with, Ricky Moore to start the game, and, and, you know, they did a great job on Elton, um, and Trajan was obviously making every shot and doing everything he could as a senior leader. We just – he didn't have enough help from uh, guys that usually, you know, they, everyone was kind of under their average, you could say, except for except for uh, Trage. It was, you know, Elton was under his average. Shane, you know, didn't have his best game. Carowell was struggling a little bit. And that's – hey, that's what the tournament does to you. That's what the Final Four does to you. Who steps up, right? And uh, UConn did. God, I, I mean, I have to tell you, I, I watched that game and I'm so yeah. 
I'm still, I, I know you haven't <laughs> been able to watch it again. I'm still so frustrated. No. I really, I really think that that's, that, that team goes down. It's one of the top two or three teams to not win yeah. a national title ever. It's a- absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, um, we, we were loaded. We were loaded. We were loaded and we had the best player in the country, the best shooter in the country, best defensive player in the country. I mean, we had everything. We just, you know what? We just lost. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's why the, uh, the one and done tournament is, is so special. Hey, I, I want to yeah, ask right. you real, I want to ask you really quick. Um, you were part of, you mentioned the class. Um, I refer yeah. to it as, as the three B's and an A. Um, that's right. Uh, you and Shane Battier and Elton Brand and William Avery and and one of the I, I mentioned this on on our podcast just a couple of weeks ago. Um, you and Battier and Brand at one point, all three of you were ranked as the number one player in your class. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah. it was a truly yeah. remarkable recruiting class. Uh, to some extent, people at the time, you know, said it, it may have been you know up there with the Fab Five as as the greatest recruiting class of all time. Yeah. We've seen we've seen things change a bit since then. <laughs> But it's talk, crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, since then. <laughs> but talk just a, a little bit about what it was like to be part of a huge, highly touted yeah. recruiting class like that and, and, and the hype around being recruited. And, and you see some of it today, how it's different today. Yeah. Um, that was a special class, um, starting with Shane. I think he, uh, he, he was the first to kind of jump on and commit. And then he started working on all of us. Um, you know, I was really being heavy recruited by obviously BYU and, and UCLA, Kansas and Kentucky. And I always wanted to go to Duke. I've been a Duke fan since like the Danny Ferry days, Bobby, Christian. So I'd always wanted to go to Duke, but you kind of have to, as you're getting recruited, you're trying to put all those feelings aside and find the best fit, right? And find what makes sense and make sure you do your homework with, with recruiting visits and, and, you know, and getting to know the coach, building relationships. So Shane was kind of the first to jump on. And then Elton came on, and then it was started thinking, okay, man, we can really compete for four years. We got a really good team. And then all of a sudden, Will jumped on, and, and then I was like, okay, well, we're, there's our kind of our point combo guard. And I, my AAU point guard, some of these guys, some people don't know, but my AAU point guard growing up was Barron Davis. And so I'd always wanted to play with Barron. We had always talked about going to the same school. And so I, I was hopeful he would kind of go to Duke. So I was trying to convince him to be like, no, William's a two. You play the one. Let's do this fab five thing, right? We'll both go together. So we'll be Baron, Will, Shane, me, and Elk. And so Baron was like, I'm not, you know, I'm not leaving LA. So that was really, really hard. So it was hard for me to, at the time, to kind of jump on board because I wanted to play with Baron so bad. But then that huge scandal with UCLA, Coach Herrick went down with, with if you guys remember that, with this, the, you know, Baron's driving around a car and, coach eric's name or something like that right 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 no i I remember the scandal yeah 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 so i immediately i immediately just told coach eric hey i'm out i don't want any investigation i don't need any of that stuff so then it came down to BYU in utah or excuse me byu and duke and it was a no-brainer for me it was an absolute no-brainer for me i wanted to win i wanted to play with the best play against the best um playing the best conference and so it was a no-brainer to me and so i jumped on last and so we kind of got there and it was great we had this great chemistry and it was like everyone was kind of happy for each other. Everyone wanted to be a part of something, right? And I think that's a huge testament to Coach K and how you check your ego at the door. You check it at the door, he'll make you, right? And that's the culture he's built there, and you knew that from day one. You were not – I don't care how big of a recruit you were or big of a player you were, you were not bigger than him or his program, right? And I think that's what makes him – one of the thousands of reasons what makes him so successful and so good. Um, so, you know, that was fun. It was fun. It was, you know, the notoriety, the magazine, this is before social media and everyone was talking about it. So it was really good. There was a lot of pressure, but it was like, we were all kind of dealing with it together. 
right? So it wasn't just like one person, it was all of us. And then, you know, we had guys like Wojciechowski as senior leaders and Trajan, who was a four-year guy as a redshirt. And so we had all these guys kind of kind of guide us and help us through this transition from being like, you know, a high school stud to trying to get, trying to make it at Duke basketball. These days, right, it's just like in recruiting, not for us, but for, you know, Duke, it's just like you, your the one and done rules kind of changed everything, right? It's just like you, you've got to get these great players because look what they're doing, right? Look at the Marvin Bagley, Joel Okafor, Justice Winslow. Look what they're doing. Like they're just dominating right away. So you, you kind of have you go after them because they're going to really help you win and hope you'll help your program. Because if you don't get them, somebody's going to get them, right? Somebody's going to get them, like Coach Calpari of Kentucky. Or so I think it's changed things now because you only have them really for one year. Um, and you're doing it over and over again, right? Every year you're doing the same thing. So I haven't, I don't know too much about it because we don't, obviously we're not really recruiting that way. We take a lot of JUCO transfers and D1 transfers, but it's just, it's different from when, when, you know, when I was coming out 20 years ago, it's just different. So you, you mentioned coaching and, you know, you've been coaching for a couple of years and we want to know like, yeah. what's, what's the most surprising part about being on the other end of the bench uh, from being a player. And is there something that you now, that you as a player that you now look back uh, and now that you're a coach say, Oh, I have to give all the coaches respect for, you know, something that yeah. players do now uh, that you're just like, Oh, when I was a player, I did that yeah. same thing. I think as coaches, we have a short term memory. We, for, we think, uh, we think like we'll get upset at our players um, and we'll, uh, we'll get frustrated with them. And it's just like, wait a minute. <laughs> These guys aren't perfect, right? You made mistakes as a player. Stop getting so mad at them. Coach them. Teach them. Um, show them, right? And, and as a as a coach, you just you feel like you have no control during the game, even though you're making adjustments and you're making substituting and you're, you know, you're calling plays. You just feel like you can't you can't control whether I get that rebound, whether I you know don't give up middle, whether I you know whether I make these free throws, right? You just don't have that control. Um, but it's fun. It's fun. And that's, this is, this is, this is one of the many things I learned from coach K was his assistants were all former guys, former players at Duke, and they coached by experience. I remember Quinn just coaching so much, um, using his experience when he was a player and he just have so much energy, so much juice as an assistant. That's the one thing I've tried to capture in my young coaching career as an assistant is to like lead these guys or talk to these guys with my own in my own experience, because I've been that guy, right? I've been the starter, I've been the guy off the bench, I've been the guy who didn't play. And so I try to take something in my, you know, long basketball career overseas and in college to try to give it uh, to my player any way they can and any, whenever they need it. And that's kind of something I've tried to, I'm trying to really do as I learn this coaching business. Um, but yeah, we, we get frustrated with our guys or we get fired up for our guys. Um, you really miss the game. You, you miss being on that court for sure. The coach, so I love being around the guys. Um, but the most, I think the biggest thing is like, I got to take a step back, check myself a little bit and be like, Hey, these kids are going to make mistakes just like you did. These kids are going to miss shots just like you did. These kids are going to, you know, miss a box out just like you did. Get on them, hold them accountable and, you know, next play. Let's go. Hey, Chris, we're, we're going to wrap up here and, uh, we have a yeah. tradition whenever we yeah. interview a former player, we ask them for a story. <laughs> You know, some yeah. secret story, a story that we as the general public wouldn't necessarily know yeah. about about Coach K. Um, and, yeah. and you are truly unique, sir, because in addition to Coach K, you also played for another incredibly colorful oh. figure in the yeah. game in Rick Majerus. Give me your best yeah. Coach K story and then give me your best Rick Majerus story. Okay. So I've been thinking about this one since, you know, I've been thinking about this one a lot because Majerus was 
kind of my last three years of college basketball anyway. And there were so many that I was like, all right, think of some Coach K stories. I got a great Coach K story where it's really personal for me in terms of Anyway, I think it's really good. I think I think your your uh, listeners will really enjoy it. It's also anyway. So we're we lost to Michigan uh, my freshman year, the '97 '98 season. I think we're pre, we were number one or number two in the country. We lose a tractor trailer, you know, on that team. Oh yeah, he and, had a huge. Uh, uh, we were up by yeah. we were up by ten with like two or three we minutes remaining. Them. Yeah, and yeah. and they scored like the final fifteen points of the game. Yeah, I they remember did. the game well. They, yeah, and they just beat us. And it's our first loss and first time we've ever lost as these freshmen, right, and we're like, how is Coach K going to handle it? So Coach K, before practice, every practice, traditionally all the guys would kind of sit on that opposing bench right there, and he would talk to and direct everyone, and, you know, whether it was film, whether it was a little message, whatever it was. And so he's talking to us in his typical Coach K fashion about um, some of you guys need to stop thinking this is high school. I don't play favorites. I don't need, you know, people – um, your parents, and this is in high school where parents are calling me or this or, or sending me emails or sending me faxes. Like, that's not how this works. We win together. We play together. And he just starts ripping us. Not, he's an individual, right? He's ripping the team. And we're all kind of nodding our head listening. It's like, who did this? What happened? You know, like, what's going on? So we take a good lashing um, as a team collectively, right? Because that's what Coach K is all about, collective effort. And so we're taking a lashing collectively. Um, and it's our first real action because we we just we've been playing well so like we won all the games. So I give my dad a call after the game and I and he's like, hey, how was coaching practice? And I'm talking to my dad. I'm like, yeah, he just ripped it. Well, I guess one of the parents like either emailed or you know called coach or did something, been like, you know, my son needs to do this, my son needs to do that. And he's like, man, I hate to tell you this, but that was your mom. <laughs> and so I'm like, what? And so come to but what happened was my mom, I guess after the game, like faxed Coach K. The office being like, sorry for the loss. I think Chris and Elton should play more together. And I was like, I was like, Dad, are you kidding me? So that was me that got the lashing. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that nobody knows that story, and like not even my teammates. But I've told that one. And if you guys know my mom, and she means well, and bless you know, bless her heart, she she's just one of those soccer moms, right? Her son should play. So that was kind of the. That was like, you know, it's not, it's more of a story of my family than yeah, coach, but that, that, that awesome. is, yeah, that was, uh, that was what <laughs> I remember the most. So I'm like, I, that's the most story. That's the story, story I tell the most to family and friends after I left is just, you know, anyway, so that, that one to me is, is pretty funny. Cause I was sitting there just like, man, what idiot parents doing this and come to it is my mom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so, so now, now Rick Majerus's turn, right? Yeah. Rick Majerus, like this guy's colorful and a lot of it's not probably appropriate for radio or, you know, podcasts, but he was the best. He would leave you. He would, you know, he would say such inappropriate things at inappropriate times. Um, but my favorite is this. So um, he's on a home visit at a recruit's house with Mike Pusey uh, and his mom and his dad and his sister. Mike Pusey is a Salt Lake City kid and Pusey's this six foot nine, 250. Five two hundred ten pounds, skinny, just hardworking, typical Utah U, right? For, you know, and Coach Majerus is sitting in their, you know, in the home visit, obviously in sweats and a t-shirt, just worked out, and he's with assistant coach uh, Jeff Judkins, and he's like, you know, Mike, I think you can be a great player for us, um, but you're skinny, you know, and, and for the only way you're going to be able to play in my system is if you gain weight, uh, put on weight, so that you you don't get pushed around. And he's like, and I know you can do it because I look at your mom and your sister, and they're both heavy sets, and you have the ability to do it. 
Oh my god, did he really? That's so funny. Yeah, and and, and Mike signs and Mike signs. Oh, that is <laughs> that's, that's my favorite great. one. Another another quick one would be you know your coach is always big on Majerus is always big on having individual meetings while he's showering. So uh, you're you're waiting for it. as you transfer. You heard about all the rumors, and I'm sitting there. And all of a sudden, I got the call. It's like, hey, coach wants to see you in the shower. And so you just stand there, and he's having a full conversation while he's shampooing, and he's toweling himself off, and he's just, like, not listening, right? You're just focused on not looking down. You have no idea what he's saying because you're so you're so scared in there. Like, what is going on? It's completely inappropriate these days, right? But right, back right. then, that was like, you were going to get you were gonna get it. You just didn't know when. He got me. He got me. It was a uh, – uh, I didn't know what he said, but he got me. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, yeah. Chris – I, I can't thank you enough for doing this with us. You were a fabulous, I, 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 you were such a good interview. This was a ton yeah, of fun, great insight, uh, both from, from a guy who clearly knows his basketball and from someone who's um, experienced uh, the basketball world as a player and a coach. Yeah. We, we really appreciate you doing it. Uh, we, uh, Utah Valley is my new favorite team out there on the West Coast because of you. We appreciate so, it. Good, good luck, man. We hope it really goes well. And, and again, thank you so much for joining us on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Dad, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate everything. I really do. All Take right. care, Chris. Thank you. Yep. We'll see you. Wow. Um, first of all, thank you so much, Chris Burgess, for coming on the podcast uh, and, and giving us such what I think is one of the most insightful, uh, informative and engaging interviews that we've had on this podcast. Uh, it was incredibly awesome. And I will note uh, for those of you out there that to my knowledge, none of us are doing this podcast while in the shower. Uh, so um, <laughs> we, we have that going for us, but I want to start with Sam. Sam wasn't able to join us today. Sam, give us your takeaways from this interview. What did you think? Well, first of all, I, really feel like we missed out on the Baron Davis going to Duke experience. I know. I'm sorry, Sam. During the interview, <laughs> we're, we're, we're chatting back and forth, uh, trying to like organize the questions because this was kind of a, a short notice interview. And when he mentioned that, I was like, Jason, Baron Davis could have been in this class. This is ridiculous. Yeah, that, it would have been, that, it would have been, wait, it would have been, it would have been three B's and A and a D. <laughs> they would have won nine national championships in two years. Yeah, they would have. Yeah. So that that that's my first take on that. The second thing, I, the the part that was most informative was the way that he talked about all the current Duke players and and just kind of the whole environment around college basketball. It, it it's neat that he's so plugged into it when he's at a school that you know he even admits he's like we're not going after top 20 kids they're going after transfers they're going after guys who are are out west and and maybe want to be in utah um so he's not really you know operating un under the same recruiting rules that a coach k or a john calipari is operating under but he's he's really aware of it and he knows a lot about all these kids he knows about all their games and it just seems like he's he's like so clued into everything and it, it's really refreshing and we know that all these coaches know a lot about the game and about the kids but to hear him articulate it i think is is really impressive i didn't admittedly know much about chris burgess before i had mentioned him on the show you know it came up that that he was coaching at utah valley but 
his time at Duke is a little bit before I really became a Duke fan. So I, I don't remember him much, but I, I enjoyed that. And then finally, of course, the, uh, the Rick Majerus story, uh, which I think that this is now the second time we've gotten Rick Majerus stories on the podcast because previously we had Seth Davis, who also, I believe, told us stories that involved Rick Majerus in the shower. So yes. the, yeah. the Rick Majerus. <laughs> Rick, I, I did not know that Rick Majerus in the shower was going to be a recurring meme on this show, even if it only happens occasionally. And then, and then the fact that Rick Majerus has the stones to talk to a recruit and tell him that, well, your mom's fat, so you're gonna you're gonna probably put on weight, and that's a that's a good sign. And then that he's able your to sign the kid, your mom and your sister, because your that, mom and your sister are both that fat. Is, oh my god! Is, I mean, I mean, you know. Coming from coming from a dude like Rick Majerus, it's like, well, you know, he, he knows a thing or two about this. So uh, that was cool. I I I I was listening the interview. So you guys did the interview earlier today, and then I got a chance to listen to it just before we came on here. And I'm standing in my kitchen listening to it, and I was howling at the uh, at the story about the about the the recruit with the mom and the and the sister. That is that is nuts. And also, it should be noted, you know, just for for our own sake. That is definitely something that that would not fly in 2017, but apparently it was fine in the mid 90s. I was going to say, I, I mean, aside from the fact that I thought Burgess was incredibly personable, engaging, uh, and very revealing, uh, I, I want to harken back the stuff that he was t- talking about. You know, from the, his scouting of Duke. Um, there was one specific thing that jumped out to me, uh, and it's a term that I'm not sure people are going to necessarily understand. He talked about Bagley's second jump, and what that term means is uh, how quickly you get off the floor after taking a shot, or, or you know, you, you jump once to take a shot, and then how quickly you get off the floor a second time. And it may seem like something that isn't that important, but people who really know basketball know that the second jump is super important. Like if you attempt to block a shot, the ability to then bounce back and get the rebound if you don't get it, or if you put up a shot, your ability to to get that second jump and get the offensive rebound. This is a really, really important trait. And it's not the kind of thing people talk about all that much, but it is something about, I, I urge you, people, Watch Marvin Bagley and notice his second jump because it is really impressive. It is really fast. It's something that uh, do you guys, Antoine Jameson, Antoine Jameson was unbelievably quick off the floor. It's one of the reasons Antoine Jameson was one of the best college basketball players of his era and then had a very, very successful career in the NBA. And, and Marvin Bagley appears to have some of that. And, I, and when Burgess talked about that, I was like, damn, this guy, you know, this is some in-depth stuff that we're getting. And then the last thing I want to mention is Burgess is just an assistant coach, but the guy who's the head coach there at Utah Valley is Mark Pope, um, who won a national title at Kentucky, played in the NBA for a while. Uh, and Utah Valley was not a, a program that was on the map at all. And and it, it really feels like Mark Pope has them going in the right direction. Uh, I think he's a guy who uh, his star is is going to be on the rise. Um, as a as a head coach, and I, I don't I don't know how long he'll be at Utah Valley. I think he could easily move on to another top job, and and I'm I'm hoping he takes Chris Burgess with him because um, I think Chris Burgess, uh, just judging from that interview, I think he also has a bright future as a coach. He's he's clearly a really smart guy, and I feel incredibly lucky um, to have had him on the show. And he, he was great. He was just a lot of fun. 
I think the one thing in addition to what you guys mentioned that uh, uh, I noted was, uh, first of all, uh, the you, he kind of gave us an insight into how a mid-major uh, like schedules games and what they're you know what they're trying to get out of these games and and quote unquote you know getting whooped by some of the blue blood programs you know they basically battled Kentucky to you know very well for most of the game until Kentucky pulled away and then was very very sound you know strong against Duke uh, in the first half. For eight, thinking, minutes, for eight for minutes, for eight minutes, that was I mean, hysterical. But, that was yeah. so funny. He goes, he goes, we battled. We were right there with Kentucky for thirty minutes, and we were right there with Duke for eight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're scheduling these games, people are like, why are these guys scheduling? You know, scheduling against Duke, against Kentucky, against UNC to just get their butts whooped. And most people are thinking, oh, it's about the payday because a lot of the times, you know, these blue blood blue blood programs will uh, pay. Uh, these major lower major teams to come and quote unquote get whooped. But when he talked about how they played against uh, Idaho state or it was Idaho state, I want to say it was. Um, and he said that at that point, the players were like, this is child's play. This is easy <laughs> yes, because we're yes. playing Idaho state. And they, they whooped him by like 20. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, you know, that is what they're preparing for. Like you take a couple lickings so that you know how to play at a level uh, above everyone else in your conference. And, and I think, it it seems to him that those kind of games are going to help his team down the road. Uh, And that's why they kind of scheduled these games. And obviously there was the link between Mark Pope and Kentucky, Chris Burgess and Duke, and it made a lot of sense to schedule it on their end. The other thing that I uh, will mention that uh, of note was when we were asking him the question about the 99 team and about how, how close they were to winning, you could tell that he wants to replay that game right now. He wants to get on a uniform, get the guys back together, and replay that game because I, f- I feel like in his mind, I'm pretty sure in all of our minds, you play that game 99 times out of 100, the 99 team is winning that national championship. And you can tell that it still kind of eats at him a little bit. Um, I can't believe he's never, never – I can't believe he's never seen it. He's never watched it again. It's unbelievable. I, I believe it because the t- in my opinion, you know, in my mind, the 2004 Final Four never happened. Uh, and I was there and I've never seen a replay of that game and I never want to see a replay. So I kind of when he when he said that, I it got me itching again because I was like, yes, there is definitely everyone has a game that they say, you know, if you tell me right now, lace them up and replay that game and we'll, we'll smoke you like that. And I'm pretty sure in his mind, you replay the 99 championship game right now with, with all the guys. 99 Duke team is whooping that ass. You know, it's interesting. So in that game, in that 1999 game, Burgess only played seven minutes. Uh, and and it, it, the only stat he had, he picked up one foul. I mean, that he was one foul away from having a seven trillion. Um, uh, and yet it still eats at him, even though he, you know, his role on that team sort of had whittled away by the end of the season, um, you know, with the success of, of Brandon Battier as, as our big men. Um, it still eats at him because he knows how great that team was, uh, and and I still that I talk about it all the time. I I think that '99 team is alongside like Duke '1992 is the greatest Duke teams of all time. Absolutely. And to wrap it up uh, with the interview, we 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 have not talked about the fact that uh, you know we we learned for the first time that Chris Burgess has a soccer mind like like a lot of us, uh, and that his mom ended up being the person who, you know, basically emailed or faxed Coach K is what he said and said that he should give 
Chris and Elton Brand more playing time, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, and he kind of, I think it's funny that he laughs at that story. Um, even now where he just kind of like, you know, it was just a mom being a mom and in uh, coach K is chastising the team as a team and not giving anything away. And Chris Burns is like, yeah, who would do such a thing? And it ended up being his mom. I thought that was pretty funny. I think all of us have had a horrifying experience like that with our parents <laughs> at some point in our life. Now nah, my parents, my parents stayed out of, out of uh, all my affairs when I was a kid. They, they, they let me figure out that stuff out for themselves until the, until the, you know, school principal would have to call home for something, but you know, that only happened a couple times. Are, are we about to get a? Are we about to get a Sam is a bad boy story? Yeah, we'll 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 save them for another time. There's a few. <laughs> <of them. laughs> and now we're going to go to parting shots, and I will start with Jason. So I've got kind of a weird parting shot. It has nothing to do with sports whatsoever, but. Folks who uh, go to the DBR, to the off-topic board, I'm sure you are aware that I am uh, a semi-professional, amateur, whatever you want to call it, movie reviewer. Um, I, get to, I get to go to lots of uh, movies. I get to go to screenings before movies are released. And, um, uh, and, and it's great. It, it's a lot of fun. I, I, I see upwards of 100 movies a year, and I, I sit with a bunch of uh, uh, critic friends of mine. And so we all you know, talk about the movies, and I, I get a real critic kind of perspective on them um so for the first time i'm coming on here to recommend a movie to everyone and that movie is coco uh the new pixar film which i saw just a couple days ago and if you have a child between the age of maybe five or six and 12 or 13 you must take them to see this movie and if you don't have a child within those ages i think you should see it anyway it is an incredibly beautiful story about the value of family, the value of our ancestors, connecting with our family and with our ancestors and our, and our personal history. Uh, it, it, it's one of Pixar's best films. It's, it's not Toy Story or WALL-E or Monsters, Inc. or The Incredibles. Those, that's the, those are the pantheon for me. Those are the, the, the truly greats, but it's, it's just beneath those. It's, it's right up there, I think, with... Um, with up and inside out and, and, and it's, it's, it's a gorgeous, beautiful film. I, I don't usually talk about movies here on the podcast, but I'm talking about it now because I really think people should go see this movie. They, they may look at it and look and think, and think it's, it's very ethnic and they think, oh, maybe it's not for me. I'm telling you, it's an amazing, amazing film and a gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful film. I need to just get all my, movie suggestions from you jason because the last movie i saw in the theater was zoolander 2 um oh that that's a mistake that is a mistake i mean it, it was a mis it wasn't a mistake until we watched it now now hindsight is 2020 yeah yeah it, it was a mistake i'll just go see the movies that you recommend for me from now on good call all right uh sam your parting shot so i'm not much of a movie goer either although i have been very reliable about seeing the new star wars movies as they've come out otherwise pretty much never go. Anyway, a couple things for parting shots here. The first uh, on kind of a sad note, I don't think I don't think we talked about this the other day that uh, Jeff Capel's father, Jeff Capel Jr. died um, uh, over the weekend. Um, we know that he had been battling. I think it was ALS. Um, and uh, and so that's that's just it, it's really sad news. Uh, we had read about I know there was a there was a great article uh, that 
that Jeff Capel, our Jeff Capel had written um, in the Players' Tribune about his father some time ago. So, um, you know, that just that is the first note. The second, uh, I noticed that Chris Collins's Northwestern team was losing tonight to Creighton, and they were at home in Evanston. So that's a bummer. They ended up losing that game. Hopefully they bounce back from that. I imagine that'll be the end of their time, at least for the moment, in the top 25. So um, sorry to sorry to Coach Collins, former podcast guest, Coach Collins, for that. The most important parting shot that I had for this week was uh, to tell you guys about my experience getting out of Chicago this morning. So I went to the game last night with a couple of friends, and we were out having some drinks after the game. I went to a buddy's place to uh, to crash for a few hours before my very early flight this morning, and I failed to set my alarm. So I woke up with a bunch of frantic calls and voicemails from the friends I had gone to the game with, being like, "Yo, where are you? Like, we're 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 getting on the plane now. We're taking off. Like, okay, hope you make it back." Uh, so I rushed over to Midway Airport and um, was was all frantic. I'm, you know, I didn't get much sleep and yada yada yada. So anyway, uh, my parting shot is specifically a shout out to Mary at the Southwest counter at Midway Airport who got me on another flight. And I'm not entirely clear what all the airline policies are for rebooking for stupid people who miss their flights, but. Uh, Mary hooked it up for me, so shout out to Mary. She is the official ticket agent of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I'll need that next time I get stuck in Chicago, which seems that's to right. Often, just, just <laughs> go 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 find Mary. Yeah, I, I will do that. Uh, my parting shot is as as we said, we're coming to you on uh, Wednesday, November fifteenth. Now Thursday, November sixteenth for Jason and I. And I just got back from a viewing of Mean Girls, the musical. And you're saying, wow, Mean Girls has a musical? They do. It just debuted last week here in D.C. It's going on Broadway next year, uh, but they decided to start in D.C. in kind of a, a, a plot twist. Um, and it is absolutely hilarious. Uh, I, I love the movie. I'm one of those guys who who watch, have watched the movie probably 100 times. And when the musical came out, me and three other friends decided we are getting tickets and going to see this musical. And that was an incredibly great use of $56 and 50 cents because this musical is absolutely hilarious. If you are a fan of the movie and you are in DC, I would check it out as in DC, uh, I believe for three more weeks. Uh, and then next year it will be hitting Broadway and it's uh, written by Tina Fey. Uh, so it has most of the, the plot that you are expecting and a lot of good laughs. So, uh, Shout out to Mean Girls Musical, and uh, hopefully you guys can check it out if it comes to a city near you. Uh, for those of you who are, are expecting uh, a, a recap or at least a preview of sorts of the PK-80 Invitational, uh, that is coming up next week. As you guys know, that's Thanksgiving uh, week, and we are going to, you know, there's a lot of teams that we could play. There's 16 teams in this Invitational. We thought it'd be best not to... Uh, not to preview all of the teams uh, that we may face because we could face as many as uh, seven different teams in this bracket. Uh, but there are some great teams that are going to be in this, in this uh, uh, invitational. We have Texas, we have Gonzaga, we have, you know, and, and we're going to be there. We're, we're starting out against Portland state uh, in Portland. So uh, check us out next Florida, week. Hey, by the way, Florida, Florida is the best one. 
Florida is in this. Yeah, yeah there's Florida's so many teams in this. Like, I don't even know half of them. And yeah. Oregon, I know Oregon's on the other side. UNC's on the other side. It really is a, a, an incredible invitational put together by Phil Knight and Nike. Um, but it should be a, a fun, fun uh, week of basketball next week. We are going to come to you after Thanksgiving. Uh, we are going to take some time to spend with our families, and we will recap the entire uh, PK80 Invitational when we get back after Thanksgiving. But for now, that's going to do it for episode 94 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Remember, if you love this podcast, or even if you like us, please rate us on iTunes and leave a review. If you have constructive criticism for us, and we we, we get a lot of it all the time, and we are very receptive to it, please email us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Also, hit us up if you are interested in sponsoring the podcast. You can hit us up at that same email address, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Remember to check out the DBR forums at dukebasketballreport.com. But for now, for Sam, for Jason, I am Donald. Thank you so much. Enjoy your Thanksgivings, everybody. And Duke Band, take us home.